Biblical discernment is a huge issue for anyone who wants to care for another person. I am talking about thinking about someone, looking at someone, thinking about them, trying to understand them because you want to help them. Anytime you're discipling someone, you have to make judgment calls about the person that you are helping. There is no way around this truth. All good disciple makers, and when I say disciple makers, I'm talking about husbands, wives, parents, children, anybody who names the name of Christ. That is our great commission to go and make disciples. And so if you are a follower of Christ, you are a disciple maker. Now, what degree to what degree you are and how good you are at it and how you need to grow. Well, I want to talk about this in this podcast. And so, yeah, this podcast is good for biblical uh, biblical counselors. This will be an excellent podcast for you, but it'll be great for a wife, a mom, a husband, a dad, a teenager who is working with someone else in their youth group, anybody within the church construct. All good disciple makers have to be comfortable with discerning people. And so the question is for this podcast, do you know how to biblically assess those who receive your care? I want to get down inside of this idea of assessing someone, looking at them in them and trying to discern what they are all about for the for the sole purpose of of helping them to mature and in Christ. Welcome to the podcast. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. If you want to read this podcast, I would love you to do that. And I want you to share it with 1,000 of your closest friends, and that would be fantastic. And so for you pastors, what that means is you want to share it with everyone in your church and have them share it with all of their friends as well. The title of it is Practical Advice for Discerning the differences in people. Practical advice for discerning the differences in people. I have a short video inside this podcast. I also have an infographic, and per usual, I have other links that will take you all over our website that will help you uh, to continue to uh, learn more and study more about this idea of understanding people well, particularly down at that granular level. I want to thank Cliff and Kim. My, this note came to me. They said, listen weekly and feel blessed to have heard about this ministry. God bless the ministry. Thank you. Ken said, I've been reading your articles for a few months, a few months and find them resonating in my soul. They have been both refreshing and stirring. One of the reasons that I want to let you know about what people are saying about this ministry, I want to speak specifically to our supporters. I want them to know what they are paying for. I want them to know that their money, uh, their their monthly or their annual support is going to a good cause. And as uh, Ken said, as I just read, or Cliff and Kim said, uh, you are helping us to be an encouragement to, to many people. And then John sent in a note, and he 
listened to or read my article that was titled The Negative Effect of Fundamentalism on the Soul, and this is what he said. This is one of the best descriptions of fundamentalism I have ever read. This gives me new insight and understanding of my own experience. By the way, he put this on the public domain. This is a public note that he made, not a private one. He said, my family joined the IBC Independent uh, fundamental Baptist Church when I was about 10 years old. I ended up in IFB schools, then walked away from the faith in high school. I was away from the Lord for 20 years before he chased me down 15 years ago. I did drift into the grace mistake, meaning he jumped from legalism to uh, licentiousness for some time and haven't always been very gracious to my family and friends who are still in fundamentalism. I think this type of fundamentalism is very dangerous, and I can certainly understand the resentment and pain of those who have come out of it. And so John wanted to say thank you for this article and also for this podcast. And then I, I received this note recently from someone, and I'll just keep it anonymous. Uh, this individual said, I am not sure if you will ever see this email, however, as a parent, I am willing to try whatever it takes to get my child the help that my child needs. I'm keeping this gender neutral as far as the parent and the child is concerned because, again, I want to make sure it's anonymous. And then the person went on to say, your ministry is one of the few ministries that I trust to even confide in what I recently found out about my child. And and, and that's why I, want, I wanted to share these things to our supporters, because I want you to know that Cliff and Kim and and Ken and and John and this anonymous person here, that the Lord is reaching them with practical resources and it is helping them. And I want you to be encouraged by that. Not only know it, but I want you to be encouraged. All right. The title of this podcast, Practical Advice for Discerning the Differences in People. If you want to help someone mature in Christ, assessing them for who they are is part of the process. Initial and ongoing assessments are essential in soul care, which begs the question. I always get this. I get this from our students often in our mastermind program. I mean, this is a common question. What if I make a misjudgment? Well, you will. There is no question about it because you're not omniscient and neither am I. Jesus was always making judgment calls about people. Of course, his judgments were sure and right because he was perfect. Never making a mistake, that's a plus, I grant you that, but you and I are not a perfect replication of Christ. We will miss our assessments from time to time, but that does not have to be a bad thing. Think about it this way. Simply admit you missed it and continue developing the relationship. In fact, making a mistake in a relationship is an excellent opportunity to build more in-depth into the relationship. The folks I build the deepest with are the ones who are humble enough to allow me to misjudge them and even sin against them. Their humility governs their forgiveness, and in spite of my mistakes, we become closer friends. The key idea here is that though you are fallible, you can't stop trying to discern the people you are discipling, whether that is a spouse discipling a spouse or a parent-child 
or in the church, etc. If you do stop discerning because of your fear of making a mistake, a mistake, you will weaken your care for them. Now, in addition to guarding against this temptation of fear, discipling others requires the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, which is why you want to have your favorite go-to prayer when it comes to soul care. I'll share with you mine, one of my favorite prayers that I pray regularly when I'm interacting with people or even when I'm not, because you never know when you're going to interact with someone. And so you want to have a prayer like this on the tip of your tongue, and it would probably be a good exercise for you to sit down and to write out, work through, craft a a prayer, and then use some version of it regularly. But here's my favorite go-to prayer, a version of it, talking about the illuminating need of the Holy Spirit in my life to understand people. Dear Father, help me to understand this person. Help me to see what I'm not seeing. Open up my eyes of discernment so I can hear, see, and discern this person accurately. I want to care for them exactly the way you would. I need your assistance in understanding them. Help me to know them correctly. I have prayed this prayer so many times while I was counseling someone. Often, while they are talking to me, I am praying. John MacArthur says we must be able to filter the person we are observing through the lens of Scripture. And what we see through that lens is is how we are to think about them. Or stated differently, let the Bible be your guide. Here's what John MacArthur says. MacArthur said, quote, In its simplest definition, discernment is nothing more than the ability to decide between truth and error, right and wrong. Discernment is the process of making careful distinctions in our thinking about truth. In other words, the ability to think with discernment is synonymous with an ability to think biblically. That's from John MacArthur. So let me ask you a couple questions before I proceed. Do you see with biblical eyes? How would you assess yourself on this matter? This would be a good topic in small group. It'll be a good, it'd be an excellent conversation with a spouse or a close friend if you're not married. Another question, are you able to accurately label what you are observing regarding another person? This is so important because if you don't label them correctly, that's the watershed issue. If you don't label it correctly, you'll go in one or two directions, and one of those will be wrong. Are you able to accurately label what you are observing? Maybe say biblically label what you are observing. And then finally, can you carefully and compassionately help others to see what you are observing And so my first question, do you have biblical eyes? Can you see? Number two, can you label it correctly? And now that you have the information, question number three, can you move them from point A to point B in a biblical discipleship way? And while there are variables when it comes to figuring out a person, what I want to do in the remainder of this podcast is I just want to speak to one of those variables. I mean, there are many variables as far as thinking about the inside of ourselves, but I can't cover all that in a short podcast. So I want to address one area 
to think about as you begin to address, uh, assess people, and that is a, a person's competency, their ability, their capacity. Or you could say it this way, they're predetermined by God's ceiling. Every person has a limit. Every person has a ceiling. God made each person unique. That's why I say predetermined, predetermined by God ceiling. No person is omnipotent, omniscient, or omnipresent. Those are three infinite ceilings, and, and we didn't get that. And so if you want to help a person, you must discern them according to how God has made them. Sometimes I will describe it this way when I'm talking to someone. Quote, I'm trying to determine how fast your fastball is. Do you have a 45-mile-an-hour fastball? Do you have a 75-mile-an-hour fastball? Or do you have a 95-mile-per-hour fastball? I don't care how fast you can throw a ball, and God doesn't care either. But I do need to know how fast you can toss it if I am going to serve you effectively. And so I want to deal with this idea of competency, capacity, ability, this ceiling that we all have. And I sometimes illustrate it this way. How fast is your fastball? The 45-mile-an-hour fastball guy and the 95-mile-an-hour fastball guy, they're, they are identical in God's sight. God doesn't distinguish between the two. They are equally loved. But one of them is not, and one of them is not better than the other. But there is a difference between them. And you must discern this. You've got to know your audience. If one can throw at one speed and the other is twice as fast, that fact will impact how you care for them. Let me give you an illustration of this. I call this my Forrest Gump or Steve Jobs illustration. Forrest Gump is not a real person. You may remember the Gump character played by Tom Hanks in the 1994 movie named after him. I picked this fictional character to represent my slow guy with the 45-mile-an-hour fastball, thinking that it would be less offensive than picking a real person. And then the late Steve Jobs is a real person. He was the co-founder and CEO of Apple Corporation, Apple, I'm sure everybody knows, makes excellent personal computers and has typically been on the cutting edge of the desktop computer market as well as, as other technological devices. And so Forrest Gump had an IQ of 75. I believe that's what he had in the movie. Steve Jobs' IQ was much higher. Whatever it was, it was higher than 75. And while IQ is not the only criterion to determine a person's ceiling, again, I'm just using this as an illustration. There are many different ways to discern the makeup of a person, the competency and the capacity of a person. I'm only using one stripe here. And so I'm using it to make my point. But we all the point is we all have limitations and we must know them, what those limitations are to help others to mature in Christ. If you can't discern the individual, you could potentially become frustrated with them. For example, if you are the parent of two or more children, you know that there are different strokes for different folks. Children from the same parents can be different on many levels, while one child will learn math like nobody's business. 
The other child will trudge along at a snail's pace. Math does not come easy for all children. Perhaps you have an athletically gifted child, but the other one is like me, a person who could hardly make the t-ball team at age 17. Maybe you have a slow reading child and a fast reading one. We're talking about capacity here, competencies here. It happens. Our children are quite different in their God-given capacities, and that's why you want to discern this. Everybody has limitations and varying gift mixes. By the way, I have an infographic here that you could look at where I tried to break out the difference between character and capacity and and skill, uh, application. There's many component parts here that you can look at, probably a couple of dozen maybe, and that may be a benefit to you. But the reason this idea is vital is that you could be trying to make a person do something that they simply cannot do. They don't have that capacity. And it's at this juncture is where you must make a distinction between competency limitations and character issues. Now, I want to take those two ideas. They're like two buckets, competency limitations or competency and character. They're like two buckets, and I want to separate them and talk about them. You see, competency limitations are not repentable, meaning no matter how many times you, no, no matter how many times I, I pray, I'm not going to be a major league baseball player. I might make it to the t-ball team when I'm 17. But I have a competency limitation, and competency issues are not repentable. It's who you are. But then character issues are different. Character issues are not what you do behaviorally. They are who you are inwardly, and those are repentable. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. I'm going to take non-repentable competencies, there's a lot of syllables in this title, non-repentable competencies, and I want to illustrate that, and then I will illustrate repentable sins, things that you can repent from. Biff is a slow thinker. It takes him time to process everything. You know that if you ask him a question, he is going to chew on it for a while. That's Biff. He's not stubborn, and he's not unkind. The Lord gave him a slow processor. Mabel, his wife, knows this, or she knows this now. But the first eight years of their marriage, she virtually pulled her hair out because of Biff's slowness. She called him names like thick and dense and and even retard. Her self-righteous expectations led to many sin issues, as you can imagine, and it nearly broke their marriage. She expected him to be something that he was not. In time, Mabel learned that Biff truly loved her. Imagine that. And Biff wanted to be a better husband. But Biff had a 65-mile-an-hour fastball, and that was as good as it was going to get. Mabel had to address her expectations, which she did. She had to learn how to slow down while giving her husband time to lead. Mabel had a quick trigger. 
And though she could decide in a nanosecond, she also learned how making the decision and getting things done quickly was not the main thing. She discovered her way did not serve Biff or their five children or put God's name on display. Also, her plow-ahead mindset, making decisions at the speed-of-sound approach, was not necessary most of the time. She further learned how most things in her life were not as important as she made them out to be. These discoveries led to her eventual growth and her maturity, particularly in her understanding and love for the gospel. For example, Mabel began to model the patience of the gospel as she connected the gospel to God's patience with her. Like Romans 5, 8, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And what I just illustrated for you here is a non-repentable competency. Mabel wants Biff to be something that he cannot be. Oh, surely maybe he can go from from a 65-mile-an-hour fastball to 66 and 67, possibly 68. But it'll never be 95 like Mabel. It is a competency issue. And so, therefore, in this situation, it's the other person who needs to change and, and get to the point of not only accepting the way her husband is, but also you and God is using her husband to mature her and they can have a wonderful marriage as they are having now because Mabel finally got a clue about this idea. But now I want to give you an illustration about repentable sins. This addresses more of a character issue, not capacity as in Biff's situation. And so Bud, on the other hand, was slow on purpose, but he was a lazy man. And it frustrated Madge, his wife, to no end. The first few times that we met for counseling, I couldn't discern if Bud was playing a game or if he was just slow like Biff. Was I counseling Forrest Gump or Steve Jobs? I was not sure. It was a valid question, and though I I didn't frame it that way to Bud because I didn't want to insult him and also didn't want to diminish the respect I hoped that Madge would have for him. By the way, this is a counseling tip. If you are in a marriage counseling situation like this to where you want to get Dover to move on to like, you got to change, man. You got to change. You want to be careful how you communicate that because part of the goal is you don't want to diminish the respect that, that the wife needs for this person. And you can also model how to care for someone who is stuck in sin and how to do it patiently, patiently and compassionately, which will help the wife who is observing all this happening in a counseling session. So you want to be careful how you talk to the non-changing person. But in counseling, one day, we begin to talk about work. Bud is a physical therapist, and he's a very good one. And as we spoke, I noticed how his whole countenance changed. He began describing some of his clients, not by name, and some of their issues. It was impressive how much he knew about physical therapy. There was a quickening of his speech as passion came out of him. Bud worked in a frenetic pace where demands were the norm, and he had to make decisions on the spot 
And guess who was at the center of this demanding work environment? None other than Lazy Bud. The boy had a fastball, a fast fastball. I asked Madge about this, and she confirmed how Bud had always been able to make snap judgments at work. And so the issue here with Bud was not that not, it was not that he couldn't think on his feet, but he chose not to do this in other situations like when he should be caring for and, and leading his wife. Bud had a misplaced passion. He had a worship disorder of the heart, which was a repentable offense. Every person has a ceiling, and it doesn't matter where it is as long as you are fulfilling your God-given capacities. Biff had a ceiling, and, and Biff and Mabel had to come to terms with where that was and how they're going to interact with each other, knowing that it was a competency issue and, and Biff would never change dramatically, not in the way that Mabel hoped he would. But then Bud, on the other hand, lowered the bar at home. The ceiling was so low, but it was evil. It was sinful. He was a lazy, passive man at home, and he outed himself, or he was outed because of how he interacted at work. And that's sometimes that is how you can tell uh, to discern a person is how are they in every sphere of their life. Now, it doesn't matter, again, where they are as long as you know where there are. You know, Paul talked about this idea of different, differing capacities. He used the language of, I'll translate, a large, uh, a large soul or small-souled individual. Soul sizes is how Paul communicated it. And Paul was a large-souled individual. He had substantial spiritual capabilities, He spoke multiple languages, had incredible discernment. He was spiritually profound. Everybody is not like the great apostle from the New Testament. I'm not. Now, with this concept in mind, Paul gave us instructions on how to interact with people like me who have a smaller soul. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, he says, And we urge you, brothers... Admonish the idol. That's what we need to do to Bud. We need to admonish him. We need to confront him. You're a lazy man. I'm, I'm warning you. I'm admonishing you. But then Paul said, encourage the faint-hearted. And then he said, help the weak. Be patient with them all. The word faint-hearted in this verse means small-souled. This definition is crucial because it's how Paul expects you to interact with a small-souled individual. Be patient with them. Friends, we must understand this concept. We must not only discern our audience, but we must be patient with them too. If we don't, there could be a temptation to frustrate your own soul. Let me speak ever so briefly to this soul, small soul capacity issue, because when, when people hear that, some people trip over that, and all it's really saying is that we're a dichotomy. We're two parts. We are organic and non-organic. And just as our organic physical self is is different, people can do all sorts of different things. Nobody's the same. The internal part, our soul part, is different as well. With that said, this concept of soul capacity is subjective. And so you want to tread carefully here. 
which is why I'm making a strong call for discernment. Also, when it comes to assessing someone at a granular level, like at a soul level, it's wise to have community input. I I talk about holding your assessments loosely. And one of the ways that you can hold your assessments loosely, which is something that all biblical counselors should do, we're making assessments all the time. And if you've done it for a while, you'll realize that you've been wrong more, more than once. And after a while, you start holding your assessments loosely. And one of the ways that you can do that is by asking competent folks for their opinions. So if you think about this idea of of soul size, soul capacity, the non-organic part of a person, don't overthink it. Typically, you can discern what sin is and what it's not. And once you do that, you know what you have. I asked one of our mastermind students about his Down syndrome child sinning, and how could he tell? He said that after a while, it's not that difficult. My student is a student of his child. And he can typically separate capacity issues and soul or character-related matters. When it comes to sin, let's move over to to the capacity side. When it comes to sin, you should never expect a person to live sinfully, no matter how slow or how fast they are, or how fast or slow they can throw a ball. And just like my student with the Down syndrome child, even though there are significant organic problems, there is a character aspect there, and he could discern that. People are moral creatures. They know the difference between right and wrong, according to Romans 2. When Forrest was talking to his girlfriend, Jenny, he said, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. And so I want you to work hard to see what you need to see. The person you're discerning may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but you do not give them an ongoing moral pass because he has God-given limitations. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Again, the title, Practical Advice on Discerning the Differences in People. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.